0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, blessed Epiphany and blessed Christmas tide. We are still in the Christmas season until sunset tomorrow. Uh, then our Christmas season ends, and we go into ordinary time. And by ordinary time, it doesn't mean it's just everything's just ordinary. It uh, means to count. So we will count until uh, the next festival or feast, which will be coming. My friends, uh, um, I have fourteen pages of homily. So, uh, knowing that you would stone me outside if I even attempted that, uh, but you would make me a martyr and then I would go directly to heaven, <laughs> on the other hand, um, I've been breaking the homily up into pieces and there's been a slow progression. Uh, and uh, my plan was to talk about what I believe is God's dream, which is revealed as mystery to us in these scriptures. So, my friends, the Epiphany is a, a, a story that's only in Matthew's Gospel. It's large and it has so much depth, and meaning to it. And uh, I've been talking about uh, the last night I said God uses nature. And He used nature with the pagans. Remember those people that were traveling? Uh, uh, they're not kings. Uh, we call them kings because of a different reason. I don't want to... That's for another time. But uh, there were astronomers and wise men and sages, and they were looking for something. God got their attention using nature a star. And then from that point, they needed more assistance. So part of that assistance was uh, they heard about scriptures. Remember, they're pagans. They had their own gods. They had different ones. But the one true God got their attention by a particular type of star in the sky, which they noticed. And then they remembered, we heard ramblings about something from the Jewish scriptures, about a Jewish god. So they decided to investigate it. So God put on their heart the desire, and they would make this journey. Although it was a star that initially put that desire in, they would eventually use scriptures. They would have to ask people along the way, do you know about this, and where would we find them? And uh, some people probably were trying to mislead them. Others were probably afraid to say anything because of King Herod. But they eventually found their way. And uh, all of this was a dangerous journey for them because uh, in their time, uh, they they had to deal with food, they had to deal with the animals, the dromedaries, the camels, and then there were just robbers and thieves along the way all the time. And so this tells us that uh, it requires, faith will require uh, sacrifice and risk, which they did. And oftentimes they're depicted, the three kings, uh, for the epiphany, as having halos. Halos. Uh, Jesus gets a halo, Mary gets a halo, Joseph gets a halo, the saints get a halo. Why are these three depicted that way? Because once they get to Jesus, they have faith. They've been traveling on desire and dream. Let's find who this is. But when they gaze upon him, uh, they then are instilled with faith. So they become saintly people. And uh all this speaks about um, faithfulness. So uh, I want to, what we talked about at 830, a deacon really liked, was I talked about God's faithfulness. And the epiphany, as I've been putting forth to you, has a lot of, a lot of unpacking. But one of, the, one of the things about this story, it talks about God's faithfulness and about how you can trust God. And... Uh, What I said was, if there's one thing that the human heart desires, and I know this for a fact, we desire, we starve to trust somebody. We all want this. Now, for married couples, you look for this in your spouses, for sure. Um, You want that someone who will not only promise to never let you down, but who will not let you down, and never abandon you, and someone who has goodness in their heart, And enough power to keep that goodness and promises. And every one of us needs someone we can lean on no matter what. Someone we can go to no matter what. And uh, that someone will always be glad to see us. And we also desire to find in another human utter faithfulness. For me as priest, that is God. I have come to trust him with everything. The coming of the wise men to adore a baby is one of the Bible's most beautiful proofs of God's promise and faithfulness. Because for 500 years prior to this, God had promised through his prophet, in particular Isaiah, that he was going to lead all nations, all people would come to Jerusalem to share in the light of salvation, meaning to know him, He even promised that they would bring gold and incense. This is found in the Old Testament or in the Jewish scriptures. And through a different prophet, he made the same promise in different words. He said the kings of Tarshish and on the coast will come and pay uh, tribute, and the kings of Sheba and Seba would come with gifts. And my friends, in that 500 years, in spite of 500 years of war and migrations, and turbulence that rewrote the map of their time and the civilized world of their time three different times. These are in the historical books, not just in the scriptures. God did what he said he would do. In the wise men, then, are the symbols of the nations coming together. That caravan of all those people, and it's not just three kings. We took that from the psalms. Sometimes we try to stretch too much, and that was too much of a stretch. Uh, Uh, There's no indication there was just three and that they were kings. It was actually larger. And they represented the known world of the time. And they were coming and converging all on this one area. And they wanted to come and they brought the gifts. You see, something was different. These wise men and sages brought tangible gifts. And we were told they actually would bow down before this king and uh and this shows us that God is good and he is powerful in different ways. And uh, it shows that God is not only faithful in the abstract, but in very tangible ways. And God is faithful to you and I. I know you didn't notice, but the young server almost tripped and fell. And with my sending mirror, I said, don't worry. Her angel prevented her from falling. Of that, I am confident. Of that... I know. I don't need anyone to tell me otherwise. I know that God is faithful. That was a tangible way for me. And um, knowing that God is faithful is foundational to the Christian way. Um, We receive joy as a benefit of believing in God's faithfulness and his promises. God reminds us today that we can count on him. He does it in many, many ways. He does it for you. You just need to open your eyes and your heart to it. Most people would not have seen that as that event, but as a priest, I knew exactly what was going on. She wasn't going to fall down. Her angel got her. <laughs> God practically begs you to trust him because he already knows what the outcome of that trust and confidence will be. He begs us to follow him. And my friends, the story of the epiphany of Matthew's account, these wise people, these sages, and these astronomers, they trusted enough to look at that star, something was up, and begin a journey that was going to be long and difficult. And if we do the same thing, we will have something that they had, Christian joy and peace in our time and in our life, and one that will be never taken from you, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in this world. Jesus said, I will give you peace that this world will never, ever be able to give you. But you've got to have faith and confidence in God in order to accept this and then to know what that looks like, really. And uh, we have to have that faith in God in all things, no matter what. We must trust God's faithfulness. And uh, if we do this, we will have that joy that he talks about. And my friends, what I shared uh, in a tangible examples and one of the stories that i given in the past is a story about John Paul the Great when he was dying. And the whole world watched as this old frail man held to belief and faith in God and Jesus Christ and he had peace in his heart. The by, Africans, by the wrote stories about him said he was never cranky and cantankerous and nothing. And Um, If you don't know this, bishops throughout the world have to go to the reigning pontiff every five years and speak to him personally. It's just what they do, and they probably should. And uh, so during this time, this pontiff didn't stop that. He's in his bed dying, and he's still holding an audience. And um, there comes a story about an uh, American bishop. And uh, I think about this man. As the world watched him, he could barely speak. And uh, he became an icon of pain and suffering and how to do it in this world. And uh, everyone knew he would not be around much longer. And this American bishop went to visit and he tells this story. He said that uh, he had his one on one meeting with John, John Paul, and the bishop, at the end of the meeting, he said, I looked at him with sadness and said, Holy Father, this will be the last time I see you. And he, this is what he said, John Paul said. He said, John Paul looked back at him with a smile and said, Oh, really? Your Excellency. That's how you refer to the bishop. I did not know you were so sick. <laughs> 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 and he said he chuckles uh, because here is the man who is dying, actively dying. And he responds with, Oh, I'm sorry that you were so ill. That you... And you." Uh, My friends and I shared a very personal story. Uh, As priest, I go and I have to, I offer the sacraments, and sometimes I have to offer last rites, as it was formerly known as. And um, last night, Mark took me to St. Anthony's. Uh, Someone was in an urgent need of me to bring the sacrament to them. But um, there was a time, and I'll never forget, a woman uh, who uh, called for the priest, and it happened to be me, I know who she was, and she knew me. And when I arrived, um, she wanted the sacrament of anointing. And my friends, um, sometimes I never know what people are going to say to me in that moment because they're on their final journey. And I've been fortunate not not to be kicked out of a room, <laughs> um, but they usually won't request me and then kick me out. Uh, but um, in this case, uh, she told me, she said, Father, I won't. This will be my last time. I'm going to say goodbye to you now. I remember it as if it was yesterday. And I anointed her. And as I do, I ask if she's afraid. No. And then she did this. I thought she was going to kiss me. (laughs) She gave me a gift. She said, I won't be here much longer. I'm going to see Jesus. And when I get there, I'm going to tell him about you. And he said that you were faithful, at least in this one time, to me. She would die 24 hours later. I hope she talked to Jesus about me. Usually, and Mark's been with me, usually I tell people, when you get there, will you tell them we need help down here to send more priests and deacons? The peace that that woman had and no fear spoke about not only her confidence, but God's promise. She had absolute confidence in him that he will fulfill what he said. As did this great St. John Paul II. He knew that God was faithful and that he, to the best of his ability with his grace, was faithful as Pope. So he had no fear of what the next part of the journey was. And this is the kind of joy and peace. No matter what's going on in your life and your world, this is the gift that he wants to give you also so that you can walk in the midst of struggles. It's easy with joy, but when you have struggles... This is the peace that he's talking about. And I have seen it over and over and over again. This is the great gift. This is what Jesus talked about for us. And my friends, um, we were told the wise men were overjoyed. They showed up at a house. Remember, there, it's, not, it's not the evening. It's not at the evening of the conception. It's later. And they're at a house, and all they find is a woman and A baby. And everything looks ordinary. Joseph's not there, so he must be out working. He's not dead. He's just not there. But there's no account of it. They said, we get there, and we see the woman with her child. So that means Joseph is out working. And all they see is a baby. Something changed for them. Something made them see. Because we are told, Matthew says, they leave their gifts, and they kneel in adoration before this ordinary-looking baby. So something is different. And then Matthew said, and then they leave another way. Yes, because King Herod's crazy and he's probably going to try and kill them. Uh, But also, Matthew says, the spiritual level of that statement is they left changed and transformed. And so my friends... um, There's another piece to this whole story. Why did God do this? Why has he done all of this? Why this way? Why through a baby? Uh, And this is... he, He reaches us different ways. A star, a deacon, pushing the deacon to push me to move back into statements knowing that maybe one of you needed to hear what was written and how I open it up and explain. St. Paul says, uh, you had the scriptures, but this mystery was revealed to me. You won't find it. You couldn't understand it. And my friends, by far, I'm not a saint. But hopefully through the homily, you understand something. You hear something you need. And one of the things that I think God was doing um, is a dream. A dream. God doesn't sleep so he can't dream the way we do, but we have things that we know as daydreams, where you're fully awake and you imagine. And his Son, who is the Son of God, imagined something. Now, for God, it comes to pass, but we find it in John's Gospel. It's called Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. And this is before he's about to be executed on his journey. He says, Father, he's praying to his father. It's a whole chapter of John's Gospel, chapter 17. But I know you don't want me to read the whole thing, but here it is. I pray, this is Jesus, he's praying to his father, and when we pray, we bring our dreams and our hopes before the Father. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through the Word, so that they all may be one as you, Father are in me, and I am in you, and they also may be in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. From the beginning, with the prophets, God's plan was that we would be one. Jesus prays it. Father, that they would be one like you and I are one, and they would come to believe in you, because to believe in you, John will go on, to believe in him is to have eternal life and salvation. And he prayed that all the nations would come. And that is what Matthew said. Guess what? All the nations of our time have come. The human family is supposed to be one. And considering all the wars and stuff, it's hard to hold on to that and see how is God's dream coming to pass. But it does. It did then and it does now. One, we have to participate in it. And we have to do our part. Today we have technology, and in particular, technology that's able to connect you immediately with someone in Jerusalem or someone in Russia. That technology can be used for good, but oftentimes it is used to destroy and to hurt and to harm and to divide. That is Satan. He is not giving up. He knows he's running out of time, so he tries harder. But there is ways that we are so united now And we can use the power of that technology. So you just have to look with faith to see how the dream is coming true. And my friends, when it comes to Matthew's gospel, they came from far distances. Today, you have done the same. Some of you come further. Smoky Point, Washington. I know because of my friends. But you come too. You came from distances. You came with your hopes and you came with your dreams, and you came with your anxieties, and you came with your request to this Bethlehem that is this parish now. And you will, just like they did in Matthew's time, you will stand, and you will walk, and you will come forward to the Holy Eucharist, and you will have to gaze on Jesus also, the way they gazed on the baby Jesus, and with faith, all they, what they saw was a little baby in flesh and blood. But they came to understand oh no, there's something more here. They came to see this was the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You are asked to do the same thing. You must make a leap of faith every time you come up here. And I say, the body of Christ, you say, Amen. You guys need to start saying, Amen. A lot of you are not doing it. Amen means, I believe, so be it, let it come to pass. When you don't say amen, I say it for you. The deacon, I say it silent for you. Because that's your role. That's your job. Stop making us do it for you. There are others that say thank you. No, that's not the right time. You, after you receive the Eucharist, you go in and then you say thank you. The other thing we know about that, when, if I say the body of Christ and someone says thank you, they're probably a Protestant. <laughs> and we, have way, we can help them to, if they really want to receive the Eucharist, we have ways to bring them into the church and make it happen. So when you say thank you, we wonder, are you Protestant? <laughs> And we have Protestant, we have Lutherans and Methodists who come here all the time. They know, they understand what the teaching is. But uh, so I need you to start doing your part. But you also will have to gaze on that, and you will have to see in the disguise, if you will, of bread, Jesus. You have to do the same thing that those sages did way back. And then, as Matthew said, and when they left, they left a different way. He meant. They were transformed. Their heart had changed. They had changed, and they went and they spoke about this Jesus. You're supposed to do the same thing. You're supposed to be transformed after you consume the Eucharist. You leave here by another way, your heart. And you go and speak about him who loves them, loves you. You see, Matthew's gospel wasn't so far from us. And on the one hand, maybe not so much has changed either. But on the other hand, a great deal has. So my friends, these are traditions. You know, did you find that? Father, show me any, all the things you said, show me in the scriptures. So I try to show you in the scriptures where I, when I say God has a dream, how can God dream? Stop boxing him in. Stop saying what he can and cannot do my friends. Ash Wednesday is February 14th, which for most of you is Valentine's Day. There will be no dispensations. (laughs) There will be no excuses. There will be no, Father, can I have a pardon? Nope, can't do it. And none of the bishops are going to do it. Uh, Ash Wednesday is the day of fasting and abstinence. Fasting means one meal and little nibbles of things uh, to get you through. And then abstinence means no meat on that day. So my suggestion to make your date night Tuesday, which is Fat Tuesday, or in the Midwest we call it Ponchki Day. Uh, it's a donut. Uh, so you'll get better better seating in the restaurants on Tuesday before Valentine's Day. I'm telling you now so that you make your plans. Uh, you can be gluttonous on... <laughs> you can give flowers to your to your beloved one. Um, the candy you can give, but they shouldn't need it till uh, later. Uh, so I'm letting you know now huh, that... Uh, Valentine's Day, it happens to be Ash Wednesday, and for us Roman Catholics and Orthodox Christians, it is a day of fasting and abstinence, a day of great joy. Thursday, 9 a.m. Mass, for those who come to daily Mass, is canceled. Uh, 10 a.m. we'll have a funeral uh, for uh, Catherine Casey, so if you'd like to attend the funeral, it's a small family, uh, they would certainly appreciate those to come to pray, or at least keep that family in your prayers.